Good morning. The scripture reading today comes from John chapter 4. I'll give you a moment to turn to it, or you can read along with us uh, as the words are printed on the screen. And uh, this is really part two of a sermon that I began last week with respect to this passage. Read with me, John chapter 4. I'm going to begin with verse 4. Now he, that's Jesus, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And this is God's word. You know, last week, we learned, I'm just going to give you a very quick summary. We learned from this text about the Samaritan woman that Jesus crosses every boundary to see her. Which tells us that there's no boundary that Jesus is not willing to cross for his people. And to the degree that you see Jesus doing that for you, when you personalize that, when you place yourself into that narrative, 
You will be willing to cross ethnic boundaries, geographic boundaries, cultural boundaries, social, economic, political, religious, moral boundaries for other people. And the second thing we learned last week was that living water, this conversation about living water, what Jesus is offering, he's talking about newness. Because what does water do? Water cleanses, water refreshes, water gives us life, new life. And it's oftentimes synonymous with the Holy Spirit throughout the Bible. And so at the end of this passage, the Samaritan woman goes back to the very town, the townspeople that had rejected her, that had cast her out, had alienated her. She's out of every ring, and yet she crosses boundaries for them to tell them about Jesus. Why? Because she has received new life. But how do you receive new life? And so today we're going to conclude this teaching on the Samaritan woman. Knowing Jesus gives us two things. It gives us a new center and it gives us a new love. And that's what changes everything. It gives us a new center and a new love. First, how do you receive new life? Because in Jesus, we receive a new center. What does that mean? Jesus is talking to this woman and this woman says, sir, give me this water. And Jesus says, I want you to go and call your husband and come back here. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus responds, yes. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man that you're currently with is not your husband. And what ensues there, verses 15 to 26, again, it seems like a very choppy conversation, but it's very important. And they understood these two who are engaged in conversation, Jesus Christ and this Samaritan woman, know exactly what they mean when they're talking to each other. The woman looks at Jesus and says, I can see that you are a prophet. And I have some questions. The primary question being what? Where do you worship? In other words, what she's saying is this. I know I'm a mess. So how can I get right? I know my life is broken, so how can I get right with God? Where can I go to meet God? Where can I go to experience God? Because the temple, the temple is where heaven and earth meet. The temple is where you get access to God, where you meet God some in some way, some shape, where you get to know God, where you experience God. And so this woman is saying, yes, I've had five husbands. Yes, my life is a mess. Yes, the man that I'm living with right now, I'm not married to him. My orbit is completely lost and off because I've been longing for intimacy with men as a replacement for God. And so my center is off. My axis is off. So how can I get right? Is the temple here or is the temple there? You see, the Samaritans and the Jews, for centuries, they had rejected each other's views, rejected each other's lifestyles, since the time that they were taken out of Israel into Babylon. And so the Samaritans, they, they didn't believe that the Jews had the right sense of God. Um, they believed that their temple was a true temple. They believed that their prophets were the real prophets. And here's Jesus. He blows apart this woman's understanding because she says, well, if you're a Jew and a prophet wait, then where is the real temple? Because if the temple is the center of life, if the temple is the center of faith, I'm completely disoriented. I'm completely off my axis. I need help. What does Jesus say? A time is coming and has now come 
A time is coming when you will worship God neither on this mountain nor, on, nor in Jerusalem. A time is coming and has now come when you will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. What is he saying? Before you went to this temple, before you went to that temple, but I am here and I am about to replace all temples for good. Because in the gospel according to John, whenever Jesus refers to that hour, the time has come, he's referring to his own death. He's referring to his time on the cross. The time where the hour has come for the Son of Man to be lifted up. And what he's saying to this woman is, a time is coming. That time is coming for me to die. And when I do, I will replace all temples. My death, my sacrifice, will replace all other sacrifices. And thus, I will open access up for anyone who wants to be intimate with God. Now, what he's really saying here is that the reason why this woman has had so many men in her life is because she's looking for him. She's looking for the ultimate him. Because if you find him, if you have intimacy with him, it's not just a physical thing. It's not just an emotional thing. There's a cosmic thing. There's a spiritual thing that's going on. And every time you are with somebody, he's saying to this woman, you're thinking, this is going to be the one. And he's not. And life is not improving for this woman. She's had five husbands. It's actually declining, degrading for this woman. The man that she's with is not even her husband anymore. And so her life is not improving. It's actually getting worse. Her search is not improving. It's, it's coming to an end. The reason why she's anxious, the reason why she's alone, and she's groaning and working and sweating all the way up to meeting Jesus at this well, and she's longing and she's outcast. She's placed men at the center of her motivation. Men, intimacy with men, have become the core motivating factor in her life. And it's because she believes that that is what will satisfy her. What's Jesus doing? In one conversation, he ties this woman's deepest longings he ties this woman's source of shame to the concept of thirsting and worship and the temple all together. And he's saying it's all the same thing. You're looking for him, that ultimate him, just like you're looking for the temple. And you're looking for the temple because you're looking for the place where you can worship. It's this cosmic experience that, that you want, that no man can satisfy, that no earthly temple can fulfill, and yet it's going to give you a sense of worth, and you're looking for it, you're longing for it, you're thirsting for it. And verses, verses 25 to 26 is absolutely remarkable. The woman says, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. In the Greek... That phrase is ego eimi. It's translated I am. You know what that is? It's the same phrase that God in the Old Testament says to Moses. Moses asks God, what if they ask, who sent you? And God says, well, I want you to tell them, I am sent you. Tell them that the I am sent you. In other words, you want the temple because you're longing for this experience of ultimate spiritual intimacy with God. And you're finding it, you're trying to find it in men because you don't have intimacy with God. 
And so you're placing that desire and that longing on an earthly person. You're looking and longing for this man. And no earthly man can fulfill it. But you're still desperately trying to get that intimacy and that access on your own. And so what are you doing? You're going to great lengths. You're hiding from people. You've alienated yourselves from people. There's tremendous shame. And you're here all alone. You've chosen the hottest time of the day to come here, to be away from people. To de- That's how you're dealing with your shame. And you are thirsty and you are longing and you are empty and it's destroying you. It's corroding your soul. And your life is actually degrading. It's not even getting better. Jesus is saying, I am the access that you need. I am the, am the intimacy that you need. The very presence of God. I'm the temple that's going to replace all temples. I am the spiritual intimacy that you are thirsting for. If you make me the center of your motivation, if you make me the center of your life, if you make me the center of your faith, you will never thirst again. You will never be disoriented ever again. Now listen, some of you are saying, well, I don't struggle over these things. I don't struggle over finding a, uh, a husband or finding a wife. I don't, I don't struggle over sex, but I'm really focused on my career and my work. What are you doing? Well, you're working your body, you're working your soul for the approval of your boss. And so you're still longing for a deep sense of approval. And that has become the center of your life. That has become the center of your faith. That is what you worship. Some of us, the bedroom is your temple. Some of us, the office is your temple. It's the center of your life. It's the center of your worship. Jesus Christ is saying, the central place of worship is not geographical. It's not even earthly. It's relational. It's a person. I am the ultimate temple. I am the ultimate him. I am the ultimate man that you've been looking for all your life. So this woman, she's been through six men. And it's getting worse. Why? Because the number six throughout the Old Testament, you see this number. It's an imperfect number. It represents incompletion, dissatisfaction. Jesus Christ appears as the seventh man. The, word, the number seven represents completion, perfection. The earthly temple used to be in Jerusalem. Jesus Christ says, tear down this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. Why? Well, the author of John says, the temple that he was speaking of was his body. Jesus Christ is the ultimate temple. The earthly temple had an altar. And on that altar, there's blood and there's sacrifice. Now there's no altar. In fact, there's no temple. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the altar on which the blood would be spilled, on which the ultimate sacrifice would be made. The earthly temple had candles, a giant candelabra, huge candles that would light up the temple. There's no candelabra now. You know why? Because Jesus declared in front of the candelabras, I am the light of the world. The earthly temple had a table where there would be bread, and that bread represent life. That bread represents satisfaction, deep, holistic satisfaction in the Lord. The, the bread represents fellowship with God, intimacy with God, which represents life. There's no longer any table. There's no longer any bread. Why? 
Because Jesus Christ said, I am the bread of life. Jesus Christ is the temple. Jesus Christ is the altar. Jesus Christ is the light. Jesus Christ is the bread. Jesus Christ is the true center. If you make him the center of your motivation, if you make him the source of your deepest longing, the fulfillment of your deepest longing, your satisfaction... Because if you try to get intimacy with God any other way, if you try to find satisfaction or fulfillment, if you try to find fellowship or light or clarity or forgiveness any other way, that will consume you. That thing that you are looking for will consume you. You will place it in other things apart from God and you will be consumed. You will be working, groaning and sweating and still longing and still thirsting. Today, you may not burn up right away, but you're going to work and you're going to labor You're going to try to gain some form of approval in life. Maybe it's your husband or your children. Maybe it's your wife or your boss. Maybe it's some achievement, some accomplishment. But it won't quench your thirst. You will only get thirstier. You will die for it. Jesus says, my love is the love that you've been looking for all your life. I am. Make me the center of your motivation. And you will never thirst again. In fact, he says, in you, there will be a spring welling up to eternal life. Well, how do you receive that? The cure is not, the cure is love. But it's not less than love. It's actually more than love. If you remember in verse 6, the entire passage takes place in the context of Jacob's well. Later on in verse 12, the woman asks, Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well? So you've got to go back to the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, Jacob, Jacob met his wife. Where? Jacob met Rachel at a well. Rachel was beautiful. Rachel was ethnically pure. Rachel was sexually pure. And so Jacob didn't need to cross any boundaries Rachel was acceptable. Rachel was perfect. Jacob's father, Isaac, also in the book of Genesis, met his wife where? At a well. Isaac met Rebekah at a well. Rebekah was beautiful. Rebekah was ethnically pure. Rebekah was sexually pure. And so Isaac didn't need to do anything. He didn't need to cross any boundaries because Rebekah was acceptable. She was perfect. And so centuries later, by Jacob's well, you have Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the greater Jacob. He is the greater Isaac. He intentionally goes into Samaria, crosses every boundary to meet this woman at a well. This woman is ethnically mixed. She's Samaritan, so she's impure. She's morally questionable at best. She is impure. She's sexually impure. She is outside of every ring. She is outcast. She is unacceptable. Why? Jesus Christ came to make the unacceptable acceptable. We get new life because we receive a new love. An impossible love. A heavenly love. True love. This woman is accepted. She's known. It says Jesus had to go to Samaria. He crossed every boundary to be near her. Nicodemus, this wise, ruler, wealthy, lawful person, in just one chapter prior, has to go and seek Jesus. 
But Jesus goes out of his way and crosses every boundary to meet this woman. That's why he's the greater Jacob. That's why he's the greater Isaac. All other ancient fairy tales, all other modern fairy tales for that matter, they begin with somebody like a Rachel. They begin with somebody like a Rebecca, somebody who's pure, somebody who's fair. The gospel turns that upside down. The gospel turns the entire narrative upside down. The gospel is the anti-fairy tale. And yet it's a greater narrative. It's a greater story. Because only in the gospel do you have an ultimate king, an ultimate prince, who rescues an unacceptable woman, an impure woman, an outcast woman, to make them pure, to make them acceptable, to make them beautiful. And Jesus Christ is basically telling this woman, you are outside of every ring. But it doesn't matter because you are in with me. You are in with me. How does that happen? On the cross. Jesus is on the cross and he cries out, I am thirsty. I thirst. And he's not just physically longing for water. He's longing for the living water. He's longing for the Father. He's longing for God. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is, I am utterly and completely alone. There is no one who can rescue me. And I'm burning up. I'm in torment. I'm drying up. I'm experiencing cosmic dissatisfaction. Cosmic emptiness. The cosmic thirst. My soul is longing for God. Where can I meet with God? But I'm alienated. I've been forsaken. And I'm outcast. And so, I've lost my temple I've lost my center. I'm completely thrown off my axis. And what happens when you thirst? When you thirst, you're disoriented. When you thirst, you're suffering. And so Jesus Christ is saying, I am burning up inside. I'm drying up inside. I've lost that which is most important to me. And so I'm in torment because I'm separated from God. I'm literally experiencing hell on the cross. The giver of living water, it cries out and longs for God. And he's thirsting and he dies. And the moment he died, what happened? The veil of the temple that gives access to the Holy of Holies is torn from top to bottom. You know what that is? One time each year, the high priest enters through that veil. Because the veil is the door to God's presence, the Holy of Holies. And he enters, that veil pretty much is a boundary between the Holy of Holies, which is the presence of God, and the court, which is where the people were. And so when Jesus died, the Bible says that that veil was torn from top to bottom. Not from bottom to top, as if man can take it and rip it apart and access and do the work to get in. It's as if somebody grabbed that veil from the top, from the heavens, and ripped it apart to give men access. You no longer need a priest because Jesus Christ is that priest. Jesus Christ is the ultimate high priest through which we gain access to God once and for all. Once and for all. And you can have intimacy with God. Jesus says to that woman, that hour is coming and has now come. His death. And he endured it for me. He endured it for you. Jesus Christ was forsaken so you could be accepted. Jesus Christ was abandoned so that you could be loved. Jesus Christ was rejected so that you could be in. And so the ultimate boundary, the ultimate chasm that sits between God the Father and us because of our sin was finally done away with and bridged by Jesus so that we can have access to God.
In Jesus Christ, every form of love to the greatest degree can be found. He crossed every boundary. He scaled the heights of Calvary and descended the depths, longing, thirsty, empty, experiencing the separation from God, experiencing hell for you. Do you see that? Because if you do, that's the end of your thirst. Your job cannot do that for you. Your spouse cannot do that for you. Your children cannot do that for you. Your friends and your relationships cannot do that. You put them all together. They cannot do that for you. They will always be insufficient. You need a perfect lover. You need the seventh man who will love you perfectly. Everyone else, everyone else is broken in some way, shape, or form. And they're broken. They, they have longing. They have thirst. So they cannot fulfill what you desperately and cosmically need. And yet Jesus Christ, if you see his love for you, he will love you perfectly. If you see that love for you on the cross, there is your worth. There is the ultimate validation that you're looking for. There is the only love that you need that will shape you to abandon every other love. Every other love that will never satisfy. Make him your center. Let him be the center of your motivations. Let him be the core motivation in your life. And that will give birth to a genuine humility because you did nothing. You've done absolutely nothing to earn it. But it will give you a genuine confidence because Christ's love will never fail. You will never lose that love. And so this woman runs back to the people who marginalize her, who cast her out. And she becomes the first missionary for the church. She becomes the first building block of the church. Make Jesus Christ your center. And you will have living water that wells up and springs out enough for everyone else to drink around you. And you will cross every boundary for him because he has crossed every boundary. The ultimate boundary that separated us from God, he crossed for us. This woman, she was dirty and now she's clean. She's spiritually tired and fatigued. Now she's refreshed. She's spiritually empty and longing. Now she's satisfied. If it can happen to her, it can happen to you. If it can heal a woman like that, it can heal you. If it can redeem a woman like that, it can redeem you. Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who he is, you would ask him and he will give you living water. Just ask them. Just believe. Let's pray.